and welcome to the very first edition of Now That's What I Call Bullshit, a podcast about the music compilations. Now That's What I Call Music. I'm Catherine. I am one half of Dawson's Weekly Podcast, a podcast about Dawson's Creek, and this is Dan. I'm Dan Donnelly, and I've been a musician and songwriter for nearly 30 years, playing with many different groups, some of whom have been on Now Compilations, and I've supported a few acts and met a few acts and talked to a few acts that have very much been on a few of these compilations. I'm here today as a consumer of of music, which I have been since a very young age. Yeah, same. And for some reason, we believe this makes us completely and utterly qualified to talk a load of shit down a microphone about Now That's What I Call Music. Now That's What I Call Bullshit. First off, I think that it's important to say that we're not looking to judge. Now that's what I call music or the people that listen to it. But more so I find them quite interesting because they do, they drop about three a year and have done since 1983. And they're incredibly zeitgeisty, I think. So it's probably quite easy to judge what was going on at any given time based on what now that's what I call music's doing. Or am I going a bit far with that? Well, I think in 1983, they made the first one and that was a time where British music ruled the world mm. you had like Duran Duran you had like Nick Kershaw you had you know these really really big big global UK acts mm. Phil Collins did the cover of you, you Can't Hurry Love things like that Yeah. so the first one every song was pretty much a banger and it went like quadruple platinum Yeah. so I think then they thought my god we got to do some more of these. Well, absolutely. And actually, what I found really interesting... So, do you want me to do the history of Now That's What Icon Music? Should we do a bit of basic background on these compilations? Go on, So, then. some of this might surprise you. Right. So, the very first one... Now, this is what's interesting. You've just talked about British music. It was UK and Ireland, which I was really surprised by because I actually thought it was probably an American thing but it's not so the first one was purely UK and Ireland and that was in November 1983 they always dropped them in November because kids got them for Christmas yes well it it seems sensible doesn't it and actually the USA didn't get now that's what I call music until 1998 which I thought was really really interesting so it was actually started by someone at Virgin Records who took it to Sony and Universal so Sony and Universal actually released it but it was one of the first compilations that had collaboration between record companies which probably is one of the reasons why it became so successful because it wasn't specific to one bank of musicians or bank of bands or whatever like they were willing to share and bring this music together that could have been seen as a really positive thing at the time now the name (laughs) and I thought this was a cute little anecdote the name's from a poster and advertising campaign for Danish Bacon in which a pig is listening to a chicken sing and it says on it now that's what I call music and those pigs yeah so the pig yeah. is the reference to the pig is the reference to um, the poster for it, Danish Bacon wasn't yeah. it a pig dressed as a pilot or something I think they dressed it as a number of different things and apparently like it, it was on for the first few and then it came back maybe for now that's what I call 100 but that's where they got the name from so it's first released on the 28th of November 1983 and it featured 30 songs in double vinyl or double cassette I got mine at my first one on double vinyl, the one that I'm going to talk about. I got it on double vinyl for Christmas. Yep. Well, this is why they do it. So the rate of release, as you pointed out, settled to three a year. So you got one in late March, early April, late July, and then late November for the Christmas market. The most successful Now That's What Icon Music compilation ever is now 44. Really? Now 44, yeah. And um, 
I've already told you this, so I was about to go, do you want to guess who is the most featured artist on the Now albums? But I know I've already told you it, and he's an always a surprise because he's also one of the most highly decorated in Brit Awards. I will bet you that Now now 44 came out around the time CDs were at the height of their power. Yeah, probably. probably. When, I, when I got my first one, CDs didn't exist. That's how old I am. Well, I certainly went through a phase of getting a number of CDs. I think I went for like maybe at least a year or two getting one every single time it came out. And they were on the 30s, I think. Right. It was the mid-90s, which again, height of power. Height of power. It was like the things like Spice Girls. 1996, I think, was some of the times that I was getting those. Now that's what I call With music. vinyl, you physically just couldn't press that many and couldn't yeah. move them around because they were much bulkier. Mm. So the CDs, it's, you know, I wouldn't say the fact that now 44 sold more means it's any better than the first one. Well, certainly at some point we'll come back to now 44 and we'll look and see if we can work out why it was so unbelievably successful. So just to go back to that question, the most featured artist on all of the Now compilations, Robbie Williams is the answer to that which I was and he's actually I always find he's always a pub quick question because he is one of the most highly decorated Brit award winners there was a, they were a great proponent of British music as I say you had like you know Heaven 17 Level 42 even weird British acts one hit wonders and stuff were, were globalised yeah but- I mean, it is. It was a highly British sort of focused compilation. To bring us bang up to date, we are now up to now 108. And that came out on the 26th of March. Even before they went to the American one, they did sort of, they would do one, two, three, four, five. And then they did a, a 1983 compilation. Yeah. Then they would do six, seven, eight. Then they would do a 1984, 85 yeah, that's compilation. Right, yeah. That's right. So they would bring it all together. They also did something called the Millennium Series where they did like I think a number of years because I definitely because I turned 18 I'm going to age myself here I'm going to I turned 18 in in the year 2000 and I was bought now that's what I call 1982 for my birthday so they did a whole millennium series as well but I don't know how far that stretched back well listen you're not going to age yourself as much as I am <laughs> so we're talking today about now that's what I call six so this came out 1985 November 1985 so it will have been a Christmas present was it it was a Christmas present 1985 I can see exactly why my parents Got it. One Vision by Queen was the first track on it. Wow. Live Aid had been that summer. I was a massive Queen fan. My yep. parents were probably like, what are we going to get him? All he does is he stays in his room, listens to music and draws guitars. They probably saw that Queen was the first track on this. Didn't recognise anybody else and thought it was the kind of record that I would like. Whereas I'd much rather have had a Queen, Queen album, album. <laughs> really. Um, but, you know, my mum probably saw it in Woolworths or something like yeah. that and picked it up. So Santa Claus got me now that's what I call music six in 1985 when I was 11 years old and I, I'm oh literally dating myself there <laughs> I but you know they they were really really good Christmas presents I know I definitely got them for Christmas so the first track on it was Queen One Vision uh, Hannah Magic came out around that Christmas maybe shortly after this but One Vision had come out as a single and they I think they played it at Live Aid Live mm-hmm. Aid had been that summer again British music was there was a real if you think of the the British lineup yeah 985 you know of, of the, the bands you had you know and most of the bands that populated these early ones like Simple Minds uh, Elton John Kate Bush Level 42 UB40 Status Quo 
there was a huge, huge British British music was. was yeah, it massive. was it was huge, and I don't, I think it sort of went down. And, um, and maybe this is why it's going to be interesting to look at now. Forty Five is the biggest selling one because I wonder whether that was probably towards the end of the nineties where that massive resurgence was happening. So, in terms of patterns on that album, um, is it fair to say that One Vision is your favourite song? Definitely, that on that album? definitely. I was a huge Queen fan as a kid. Is it mostly British music on there? Well, the thing about it, yeah, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, the thing about this album is. I could split it on, up, you know the way you were going to talk about the, my least favourite, my, my middle favourite or, or, or whatever. Mm. I would split the songs on this into three categories. Okay, off you go. Songs that I would enjoy listening to and admit listening to to my mates. <laughs> right. Then secret pleasure songs that I would enjoy but would be mortified if my mates ever caught me singing it. Yeah. And then uh, songs that I just thought were t- t- shit. Okay, so do you want to give us an, um, a sort of sample from each of those categories okay. then? So are we going, the songs you would absolutely admit, I'm going to stick my neck on the line and go, definitely Queen, mm-hmm. definitely Kate Bush. No. <gasps> you wouldn't have admitted right. listening to Kate I, Bush. No, I was a little rocker, right? right so okay. I was trying to grow my hair long at the back and, and uh, it was very much in the electric guitars. So... For me, One Vision by Queen. Marillion was all right. It was a bit, it was a bit weird and esoteric for me. But Gary Moore, I was buying into. They're, they're definitely, and I guess I could get away. Susie and the Banshees were all right. Weirdly, at the time, I thought Nick Kershaw was a just a, a, a bubblegum pop act because he was always in smash hits. Mm. He, he was handsome and he had like spiky hair. Um, but now, when I look back on it, I realise, you know, that he he was actually quite quite dark, and you know, and there was elect- heavy electric guitars in it. At the, around that time, I was very biased, and and right. a lot of the bands that I look back on now, things like Duran Duran. Years later, I supported Duran Duran and realised that they were just like a kick-ass pop rock band. Whereas at the time, I thought Duran Duran brilliant. You know, for me, like rock was Queen, Kiss, ACDC. And I thought Duran Duran were bubblegum pop. And then, God, you know, I mean, one stock aching and Waterman came along. Mm. It made all those bands look like death metal, practically. What about the things that you would have pretended not to like, but secretly liked? Oh, the Eurythmics track, There Must Be an Angel Playing With My Heart. How um, would, that's so interesting because the Eurythmics were really cool. Yeah, yeah, but not, but not, not rockery. Not okay. for like a, not for a snotty-nosed eleven-year-old okay. kid that likes punk and metal. Do you know what I mean? I would have probably sung "If I Was" by Midjure <laughs> in my bedroom. I love I have got like a, a sort of because obviously I was quite young in the eighties. I know that we joked here that I was three when this was released, but I have like this sort of residual love for Midjure because. I like I really like Ultravox and I love the song Vienna so much. I think it's brilliant. So anything Midjewer does, I'm sort of quite on board with. And he also seems like a really cool guy. Uh, well, yeah, I heard him on Martin Ware's podcast recently, and I had no idea. I thought he would be quite po-faced just because of uh, the only thing I'd ever heard of him was his music, which is all quite soaring and emotional. Mm. And as a, as a, as a little raged rock kid, like I, I would have been embarrassed. But but songs like Vienna and If I Was made me I was so emotionally unaware of <laughs> myself at like 11 12 13 but knew that whenever I listened to those songs it made me feel like romantic or made me feel something different but I wouldn't dare admit it 
I would I would like basically just go into school and talk about like Hawkwind or, or ACDC or, <laughs> or something like that, you know. I think it's really interesting that you sort of say all of these things, but then you talk about Queen because I love Queen and I think Queen are brilliant, but I don't find them to be a rock act. Well, for me, the worry, right? And I hated the I hated the pop Queen stuff. Like I didn't like the Hot Space album, even though it had Under Pressure on it, which is now one of my favourite tunes. I liked all the old Queen, like Hammer to Fall, and anything that had a lot of guitar in it. I suppose like the early stuff like Keep Yourself Alive and um, All that stuff. Seventies Awry. Seventies Awry. What about the Kate Bush one though? Can we talk a bit about that? Because that obviously is a song for the ages. Love it's it a now. classic, it's brilliant. I'm quite surprised. See, I would have thought that yeah, but again I maybe I'm thinking more of a teenage, you a little bit later on, who would have loved got, a bit of Kate Bush. I got massively into Cloud Busting when it came out. There was something about that like again made me really emotional. Like being a teenage boy, you're not that emotionally aware of what's yeah. going on inside your body, like it's or your mind. You know, it's 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 a weird thing to inhabit. But I tell you what, one song on here that's kind of weird and and the guy just was around for a bit what is uh, Just For Money by Paul Hardcastle is on there. Oh, like Paul Hardcastle is he in 19. 19. No, 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 no 19. 19. <laughs> but, like, I was intrigued by that because no one had ever really heard samplers before. How's that guy saying that? Like, exactly the same, no, 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 19. How's he saying it? That sounds weird. This, again, had loads of samples from, I think, a movie about the Great Train Robbery because it's all about, it's all about, uh, robbing money it does that you know da 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 day that, that thing where samples get played into a keyboard and that that type of thing uh, I'd never heard before so I was I was intrigued by that and then I remember like maybe a Christmas or two later getting a little tiny Yamaha keyboard that you could sample your voice and play it on the keyboard ah right and okay. that was kind of through having listened to Paul Hardcastle and gone wow what is this now so there was there was that I was intrigued by that I liked the, the Miami Vice thing because everyone oh, watched yeah. Miami Vice at the time it was dead cool it was the kind of show that you'd watch and you'd go into school and talk about and again it was mad keyboard heavy Jan Hammer used, was on top of the pops with his guitar it was the first time I'd seen a guitar you know, a, a I don't keyboard even know that's a how that theme tune goes it's just like a big synth rock wig out so also on this a track that I enjoyed but wouldn't really shout about and and it's weird Tarzan Boy by Baltimore (laughs) the 80s were great for a bit of um, (laughs) that sort of chanty stuff weren't they I know that one the weird thing about Baltimore I always thought Baltimore were an Irish act because it sounds like some sort of village in Donegal Like and I always thought they were. I thought Baltimore. Like I thought Baltimore were. I always thought they were from. I think I thought they were from Donegal, but they were actually from Milan. It was oh, like an wow. Italian disco outfit. I I think I grew up till I was about thirty five, thinking that <laughs> Baltimore was a guy from Donegal that like made the, this track in his bedroom in in like a seaside town called like Baltimore. <laughs> so the ones that I just thought were absolutely. I mean, I didn't mind the the madness Uncle Sam song. Yeah. The main reason why I like that is because my cousin Kira was about six and she was just learning to talk. And one because of this song, one of the first things that she could say was Sam. Uh, I absolutely hated the Phil Collins one. Around the time that these things came out, right, the first five or six of them, Phil Collins was giving the 
the music listening public a blow by blow account of his divorce. Oh, of course he was, in yeah. Every fucking song, it was like, and then she did this, and I just walked out the door, and like I'm living in a hotel, and I, we've got separate lives, and you don't pick up the phone anymore. And it's like, give it a rest, Phil. You know, <laughs> like he's done some great music. Don't get me wrong, but around this time, he was just a moaning, whinging. Oh, my missus has left me. Every song's like she's left me against all odds. So against us, this the one on this is called Separate Lives. Oh, for God's sake! So yeah, give it a rest, Phil. Cliff Richard never no, at any time for the guy. I've got an issue with Cliff Richard in general, but also with the obsession with giving him his music airtime because I think it's shit. Like I think that like in the sixties he was he obviously did some quite good stuff well, in the sixties. Didn't he just ripped off Elvis? He well was yeah, just like absolutely. A... But but you know, in terms of what it was in in like within the sort of British music industry, he did some stuff in the sixties. But why it had to keep on going, it was never any good. I don't get why still in the eighties and even up until the nineties that he was still getting airtime. It is absolutely bizarre to it's me. The grey pound, I think. It yeah. was like those those Young women that threw their knickers at him in the 60s were throwing their surgical corsets at him in the 80s. Yeah, and I do accept that. I do accept that it was that he just managed to carry on a fan base. But at the same time, he just put any old shite out. And like for him, for him to go up onto an ear, now that's what I call thing. When Especially when you look at the, the track listing on now. Well, that's what I call six. It is very out of place. It is very out of place. You know what? The thing is as well, there was so much good music going around in Britain yeah. at that time. Like five. Like the psychedelic furs, like teardrop explodes, yeah. like there was loads of really great sort of off the wall, left the centre pop music that could have been on there instead of. There's some absolute shit on here, mind. I didn't realise UB40 had done a couple of good albums because my initial my initial introduction to them was through this, like the they got they're doing a version of I Got You, Babe, with Chrissy Hine. Oh on there. my god! And it's I'd like, forgotten that existed. When I was about eighteen, I realised that like I listened to Signing On and listening to all. All that like present arms and all that early stuff and I was like mm. what you mean UB40 were actually good at one point and I was like totally totally surprised because I thought they were just this really awful sort of pop with a with a reggae yeah uh, well one of their other really really massive hits I remember quite clearly was um a cover of um can't help falling in love with you Oh yeah. Yeah, which which I remember being at number one for a while. That's like and that was in the early nineties, so they had form. I would say there's a licensing thing for these where they buy three or four biggies, right? Yeah. And then they fill it up with a load of shit from, from other artists. Like like there's a Fine Young Cannibals track on here called Blue. Fine Young Cannibals, the guy's voice was really affected. On the big singles, it's alright. Mm. But like I'm not gonna listen to an album of that. You may be able to correct me on this and other people may be able to correct me on this I know nothing about the music industry but it was basically if it was Sony and Universal it's who they wanted at that point who they wanted to push would be my guess so yeah a couple of real biggies and then right okay like where where do you want where do you want to like get the money from where do you want to put what do you want to put on and that's probably why Cliff Richard got an M shout out because they probably thought ah well people might pick this up based on him being on it so I think the very last side of the double vinyls was four sides the very last side started with just for money and I'd give that a spin then I'd listen to Miami Vice <laughs> and then I didn't really listen to the like body rock but I know it's a good pop tune uh, but like it just wasn't wasn't doing it for me at that Body and Soul by Mai Tai I don't even think I listened to Single Life by Cameo and Mated by David Grant and Jackie Graham I just I think once I got to around 
you know, Miami Vice have pretty much turned it off. Now, I will say about Now That's What I Call Music, about the last five or six songs on the third disc or the like last, very last disc, were always pants. Yeah. They were always like weird things that you didn't really want to listen to. And again, it's hopefully something that we'll be able to dig into as to why they're there. And I do think it's got something to do with like, right, we need to pad this out or we need to fill it or I want this particular artist. You can have this artist for these two artists sort of thing. I wonder, because especially if it was a collaborative record company thing. Yeah, we'll give you the big Eurythmic single if you tag it along with this dross that we're trying to promote and stick that on the end of the album. Yeah, and we'll do it, but we're sticking it on the end of the album so people don't have to listen to it. I just didn't, I never got to the end of it communards you are my world again like like i love um small town boy uh, looking back yeah. now but i can't say this did anything for me uh blue fine young cannibals and no. that then arcadia are on there that were basically like a duran duran side project mm. three of duran duran which was it duran duran without sam Bon by any chance no he was in it oh, was he? he was the singer it was him and i think it was him and the two brothers so i I don't know why they existed, why they did work. I mean, it was the main sort of driving force behind Duran Duran. They just got bored one summer or something. <laughs> That's uh, probably it, yeah. Fell out with the other guys for a bit. Election Day, Arcadia, didn't didn't do much for me either. We don't need another hero, Tina Turner from Mad no, Max. No, sorry, that's a tune, that. Nikita by Elton John's on there. I don't think I like Nikita. At that point, I didn't really appreciate Elton John. That wasn't the time when Elton John had, had broken up with Bernie Taupin, was it? And like he was just sort of like doing his own thing and some of the stuff was a bit nah. Who is from actually from Northern Ireland, but I, I hated it, was A Good Heart by Fergal Sharky. Now this is the one I actually wrote down to talk about because I knew you were going to tell me you hated this and I always think like A Good Heart like it's one of those songs that I can't help but love and I'm sorry but like I'm just going to show myself up completely here and I also find it so one of the reasons I love A Good Heart is because it is so incredibly batshit crazy for me to think it's like I can't put it's like cognitive dissonance teenage kicks and a good heart and you just can't put it together and I just that is what I find so enjoyable about a good heart is because I cannot understand how the same person who was but what a decade before not even that singing teenage kicks is now doing a good heart like it is beyond the realms of my understanding of anything that that happened I was predestined to hate him anyway because it wasn't the undertones which I love I got into all the stuff the O'Neill brothers did from the undertones and stuff like that with that petrol motion and stuff like that Uh, later yeah. but Fergal Sharkey got he moved he moved to London he became a record exe- company executive and he just sold out yeah, in my, in my opinion yeah sold out and, uh, I, but as I say like that's one of the reasons that like I kind of like a, a good heart When a Heart Beats by Nick Kershaw looking back on it it's great and Nick as I say Nick Kershaw I didn't give him the kudos he deserved at the time because he was a, a great producer a great songwriter and a great talent whereas just because he was good looking and got in like like uh, Smash Hits magazine and, and Just 17, I, I kind of wrote them off. Oh, you're very judgmental. Well, yeah. I mean, I, again, I was <laughs> a teenage 11. boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I had to go, favourite would be One Vision Queen. I would say any of the last three, I, I don't, the only thing is I didn't listen to them. I mean, if I had to say <laughs> least favourite, if the one, the one I could like erase from the world would be She's So Beautiful by Cliff Richard. Fair enough. I can't, don't know what it goes like. I can't remember, but just looking at the title makes me want to puke. <laughs> or possibly Separate Lives by Phil Collins and Marilyn Martin, because much as I love some Phil tracks, he just whinged on too much about his, his missus and his breakup at that point. It's like, we don't need to know, Phil. You've already had your big hit. 
with that one you said about his divorce. Was it Against of... all odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, On the air tonight, wasn't in the air tonight about it as well? Everything around right, that period enough. was... Every, it was just like a blow-by-blow blow account of his divorce. <laughs> it was like, oh, there's a new Phil Collins record out. Should we see how his divorce is going now? <laughs> oh, she wants the kids on Wednesdays. That's the third. That's the third track on the album. Well, the one I don't understand. I'm, I'm obviously in a state of confusion about Fergal Sharkey. We we both are in a state of confusion about Fergal. <laughs> but in Sharkey terms of its place on the so album, good it, and then it, so it, shit. It fits there, doesn't oh, it? it? Like it's big, understandable yeah. as a as a choice on the album. Do you know what I will say? UB40 are on there twice. That doesn't need that to happen. That doesn't need to happen at And the all. I Got You, babe, UB40 featuring Chrissy Hind just sounds like some sort of bullshit cocaine blue sky thinking by a record company executive <laughs> throwing two vaguely popular people together and doing a Sonny and Cher tune. It's just like, it's wank. Okay. So I have to say that. Fair enough. Um, okay, then. So that was... Um, now that's what I call Music 6. Um, we'll put a link for the track listing in the episode description so you can go and have a look at it. You can listen to it. Um, now that's what I call music, have their own music channels and things like that, which I think is one of the reasons this podcast came about because I found the music channels and they like they have a number of them from different decades, don't they? And they are quite of a time and I think that obviously you have some real memories behind that so if you want to follow us on instagram um or twitter you can do we'll put the names the handles in the episode description just to make it easier for you because i know that me saying names down a microphone means absolutely nothing and we will be back next week with a very special guest talking about their favorite or perhaps least favorite now that's what i call music compilation so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week bye